Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Oh, God. Is stupid. Oh God. I don't know. You're going to be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot Friedman reports, believe we will get some Alex Dabrinkit closure in the near future. Not sure of all the players, picks, and contracts of all involved Detroit as expected. So if this trade actually happens five minutes after I say, let's actually just start talking on the assumption it's done. I'm taking credit for speaking this into existence. I need you to know that. See, Ryan started laughing. Well, in a first for the Winged Wheel podcast, the most major breaking news ever in in the history of the show, I think, with the Red Wings, this qualifies, or it's up there at least. It's this or Eiserman returning? I think this is like a close second to Eiserman returning, grand scheme of things. This is the only thing that can touch that. Happened while we were recording. And I want everyone to know that 50-50 minutes of recording are just out the window now. Like you'll hear <laughs> little snippets. Forever. Like I'm gonna open this show with the moment we realized and I started cracking up because I saw the report come through. Patrons, uh, our Patreon supporters are gonna get a bunch of of uh, the snippets of the episode that never was. But finally, at long last, after doing a 35-minute segment on Alex Debrinkit with the knowledge that the trade has not yet happened. Alex DeBrinkett has been traded to the Detroit Red Wings and signed to a contract extension. The long national nightmare is over. The Iser plan is back up. Hockey Town is excited. We are equal parts delirious because we've been sitting in the studio for three hours now. And we are just now starting to record what is the real episode, but we are thrilled and excited and pumped to bring you this episode. The night where this all happened, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the Alex Dabrinka trade, the extension, the hysteria, and so much more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, can you guess what we're going to be talking about? No. Certainly not what we uh, attempted to for the 50 previous minutes. It is going to be all things... Detroit Red Wings trading with the Ottawa Senators for Alex Dabrinkit. We're going to be talking about the trade itself. We're going to be talking about the contract extension. We're going to be talking about what this means for the Iser plan, the lineup next year, uh, the team's playoff ambitions, goal scoring, everything, uh, and a lot more. For those who are new to the show, uh, I want you to know that this episode, or this podcast, I should say, is almost completely supported by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. What it allows us to do is run our show completely, do emergency episodes like this, uh, continue the show through the off-season, expand our content through uh, the expanded Winged Wheel podcast content universe, we should call it, uh, with shows like Expected by Whom, which is hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. It allows us to support the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, through events like Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings and so much more. You get uh, benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus overtime episodes, which record right after these main ones, and I often throw snippets and bloopers uh, from the, the main episodes in there. So future overtime episodes will definitely include the clips from today. You also get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord page, and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Last season, we gave away two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the vast majority going to our Patreon supporters, and we'll be doing the same this year. 
And speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, Saturday, August 26th at 5.30 at Motor City Casino in Detroit is the Roast and Toast of Thomas Holmstrom and Nicholas Littstrom, presented by Trinity Health. Again, in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, we're going to be roasting Thomas Holmstrom and toasting the perfect human Nicholas Littstrom. It's a wonderful event. Uh, Go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org to get your tickets. There's a few different levels of tickets, uh, one of them with cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, dinner and auction, uh, great seating, and it's going to be a night of laughs. There's going to be Doc Emmerich there, Chris Draper, Ian Bagg, Steve Ott, Evan. I'll be there. This might be your opportunity to make amends. The jersey's coming with me. What are you talking about, Evan, make amends? Steve owes him. Well, that's right. To make it right, yeah. JamieDanielsFoundation.org to get your tickets. We hope to see you all there. Let's just jump right into this, guys. Alex DeBrinkett is a Detroit Red Wing. Forget the trade details, forget the contract details, initial reactions. Goals. 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 <laughs> Thank God. Goals. Finally, goals. Goals. We've been talking about goals and where do goals for so long. Now we have. Goals. This is a player who we've been talking about as potentially joining the Red Wings as early as last season, if not, you know, rumors before. I remember how many times in our uh, our group chat, Brad, where we were talking about who is going to come in, where are they going to find scoring from, and DeBrinket's name came up there several times. Uh, a local guy, you know, Detroit Red Wings are his, his local team, wanted to come home to Michigan rumored for weeks and weeks if not months and finally uh, it happens after it looked like he was on the precipice for a while it looked like other teams might come in and sweep him away it looked like Pierre Dorian might hang on to him for a year even if it was cutting off the nose despite the face but Steve Eisman got it done I'm very happy this is all finally said and done we can finally sleep maybe not tonight but at some point (laughs) um you know, initial reaction, obviously very happy. The contract looks good. The return is favorable for Detroit, I would say. I mean, I don't know how you can't not like this whole package for Detroit. Let's talk about the trade first. Alex DeBrinkett was a a funny player to trade. He has a 40-goal pedigree but put up 27 last season. He's a young player but not, you know, a 21-year-old with all of his prime years ahead of him. He's a guy who's going to come in and command a big dollar contract after you trade for him. So uh, teams trying to acquire him were devaluing their trade offers because they were going to have to take on the brunt of signing him to that contract security. He didn't come with guaranteed term or anything, and it would have to be big dollar. And that's what was one of the biggest hangups in all of this. You know, information was sketchy and leaky from, you know, general managers or agents who had an agenda. So everything had to be taken with a big grain of salt. You couldn't report 90% of it because it was all, you know, qualified by one thing or another. But it seemed throughout all this, the biggest hangup was Pierre Dorian didn't want to get to what the Red Wings were offering in terms of a trade. Now, before we get to what the trade was itself, just to reiterate, Detroit had all the leverage here. They did. For the most part. DeBrinkett wanted to come to Detroit. He gave the Ottawa Senators a list of teams wherein he'd sign a long-term contract, which, you know, wasn't a no-trade clause, but de facto it was. That's how they had to treat it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sell him for nearly as much. And Detroit was on that list and a bunch of other teams who couldn't afford him. I shouldn't even say a bunch of other teams, a few other teams who couldn't afford him. It was very clear that he wanted to go to Detroit. Detroit knew this and Eisenman wasn't offering a lot. This happened before the draft, and neither picks 9 or 17 from this 2023 NHL draft were part of it. 
the ultimate uh, trade package ended up being Dominic Kubelik, Donovan Sabrango, defenseman prospect, a conditional first-round pick and a fourth-round pick in 2024. And that conditional first-round pick is Detroit's choice between their own first-round pick in 2024 or the conditional Boston 2024 first-round pick that they own. The condition on that pick is that if Boston's pick is in the top 10, it slides to 2025 unprotected, and Detroit has a choice of sending their 2024 first or Boston's 2025 first. So essentially, the condition is Detroit sends the worst of the two picks or whichever one they they like the least. So Kubelik, Sabrango, the worst of their two first-round picks next year, and a fourth for Alex Dabrinkit. Thoughts on that return? I think it's a really good deal for Detroit, obviously, and, and you laid out pretty well that Ottawa didn't have a lot of leverage here, and um, the immediate reaction on Twitter from Sens fans were was along the lines of, it's not great, but really what more could we have expected given the circumstance, which, which I think is a very fair way of looking at it. Um, and Iserman used his leverage very, very well. You know, giving up a first-round pick isn't nothing uh, for Alex to break it, but if you break it down piece by piece, it w- it was probably very strategic. Obviously, it was very strategic by Iserman, which specific pieces went out, and it made sense for Ottawa at the same time. So obviously, the first-round pick is the crown jewel of that trade for the Sens. Um, you know, Boston could be due for regression and Detroit, though very improved now is still not a world beater. They're a fringe playoff team at best. So there's a decent chance this pick ends up being a mid first for Ottawa, which they'll be happy with. Dominic Kubelik should replace a decent amount of the goals that Alex Dabrinkit will be leaving. Uh, but he is an unrestricted free agent in one year. So hence why he was very expendable for Detroit. Sabrango is a better prospect than Wings give him credit for, but given the depth at left D in the Red Wings system, he was never going to get a look here, despite how good he has been, especially with the unique circumstances uh, around his development post-draft in a COVID world. And he's from Ottawa. Yep. And a fourth-round pick is who cares? So Ottawa, you can see why they liked these pieces. You can see and understand why this was the best they were going to do. Detroit got a 40-goal score out of this. They win the trade. Full stop. Whoever gets the best player wins the trade. Yeah. And is Alex Dabrinkit ever going to be a 40-goal scorer in Detroit? Eh, Maybe, maybe not. He's not going to have Patrick Kane. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. That's future episode conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's off-season content. That's uh, Evan's pet project right there. That's right. He's not going to have the elite playmakers around him that he has had in the past. Not that Detroit's devoid of it, but it's not where it has been for him traditionally. But he also had a very unlucky season last year in terms of shooting percentage, post, finish, general finishing ability. And that's not likely to stay as low as it was. So I, I think Debrink, it's a safe, consistent 30 to 40 goal guy, as that's what he's shown over the course of his career. So the Red Wings gave up what were four very expendable assets to them specifically to acquire a potential... 40 goal scorer for at least four years. That is an unbelievable bit of business for Steve Eisman. You know, part of what we were talking about leading up to this eventual re-recording of the episode when we were talking about Debrinkit, this trade hasn't happened and what's the risk of it not happening. You know, part of that was this is an opportunity that doesn't come around a lot. For most teams, but especially the Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings who haven't been in this position in what a decade plus and you can't really 
back away from an opportunity to bring in a 40-goal scorer, period, if you're any team in the NHL. But if you're one of the worst 5-on-5 goal-scoring teams in the league, you especially can't do it. And if you're one of the worst 5-on-5 goal-scoring teams in the league who has aspirations of being a playoff team within the next few years, there is no circumstance where you can't make this happen. Or you, like, you, you can't walk away without having this player come into, your, come into the fold. So if Eisenman came in and overpaid in terms of trade value and overpaid in terms of contract, and we'll talk about the contract in a minute here, I would not have begrudged him. From the sounds of it, you even more so wouldn't have begrudged him, Brad. Yeah, I had a five-minute uh, <laughs> segment in the no longer existent episode of how it's better to overpay for Debrinket than get no Debrinket because of how, you know, plainly put, undesirable of a free agent destination Detroit is right now, given seven years of losing. So that was kind of the point. Like, you obviously don't want to go absolutely crazy in order to acquire to bring it, but if you have to give up a package that makes you a little uncomfortable and you have to overpay him by a million dollars a year or you have to tack on that seventh or eighth year, you do it because you need to acquire these types of players eventually. Uh, Steve Eisenman did it and had to do none of those things. That's what I mean. Like the fact that he he had that leeway to do this and no one would have begrudged him for it. And I will say a lot of GMs in this league would have said, no, you just have to get this done. I, I, I'm trying to be cool about it, but I'm too scared of, of losing ownership him. Ownership pr- puts that pressure on their Fan GM. bases. And Eisenman still utilizes leverage in the trade and he utilizes leverage in the signing. Kubelik is a good player. I think he's a good scorer. And in terms of the goal difference, I think fans are going to be surprised to see that there's probably, there's a good chance there's not a lot, like single digit goal difference between the two. Kubelik put up 20 goals for Detroit, hot and cold, but when he was scoring, it came in bunches and that guy has a sick shot. I I don't really, from Ottawa's perspective, I understand adding him because he's a good player for your team now, but long term, I, if I was them. I probably would have pushed for a, a riskier prospect with more years ahead of him, but that Kubelik's a good player. So Barango, as Brad said, very expendable in Detroit's grand scheme of things. And if Detroit uses one of their the the worst of their two first round picks, how did you phrase it before we started recording, Brad? The Red Wings turned Bertuzzi, uh, an expiring free agent Bertuzzi, into a signed with term Alex DeBrinket. Essentially, yeah, that's essentially how that worked out, and. You know, obviously it's not an exact one-for-one because Detroit threw other pieces in it. But yeah, it was an uncharacteristically hot uh, trade market this year. The Red Wings absolutely went uh, nuclear in the wrong direction shortly before the trade deadline, ironically at the hands of the Ottawa Senators. So Tyler Bertuzzi and two games of the Ottawa Senators made the Ottawa Senators send Alex Dabrinkit to the Detroit Red Wings. What a bizarre turn of events. (laughs) Imagine after those two games where Detroit had their show absolutely run by Ottawa. In the two games that almost literally knocked Detroit out of the playoff race the week of the trade deadline. And after those two games, you went to a Red Wings fan. I know this sucks, but that just got us Alex to brink it. It's not obviously exact, but that is almost essentially what happened. This makes, and it's going to sound silly and revisionist, but I mean this, this makes free agency so much more palatable. If you didn't like free agency, I was pretty, there's some things that I liked, there's some things that I didn't love, but we all walked away from free agency, whether we loved or hated the signings saying, okay, these guys fit here, this contract I don't love, but he fits here. Yeah. You plug the right D hole, whatever. 
but who is going to score on this team? And it's a th- thin free agency pool, and players are almost never available who score goals. And this is Eisenman maximizing what he was able to do. So the Red Wings come away with someone who could put up the most goals on their team and all those holes plugged on the Red Wings. And they didn't give up, you know, Jonathan Berggren's name was around this. They didn't give up Elmer Soderblom. They didn't give up, you know, Mazur. Valeno. Well, even, you know what, if Valeno went, I would have been very understanding. Willinder did not go? Willinder did not go. Like, they hung on to so many premium pieces. Yeah, a first-round pick is not nothing. We've <laughs> That's all the Red Wings have had to look forward to for the past eight-plus years. But we've talked about this time and time again. You have a million assets built up in terms of cap space, picks upcoming, good prospects. You have to start to spend them at some point to get your guy. And it for this, it just feels like Eisenman spent the as close to the sufficient line as possible without barely going over it. The the simplistic way and optimistic way to look at this as a Red Wings fan in terms of what was the actual value given up for Alex Dabrinkit. And obviously everything has value. So, you know, I'm what I'm saying is not a perfect uh summary, but they gave up one piece of their future plans. Kubalik pending UFA, unlikely to return. Uh, fourth round picks, what's that, a 9% chance of becoming a regular NHLer, and that doesn't even include an impact NHLer. And a, a good AHL left defenseman who is, what, eighth, seventh or eighth on their left D prospect chart right on now? On their prospect chart, not the depth chart. Yes, yeah, so three of the four pieces probably had no path to the long-term future in Detroit. Obviously, a first-round pick is a first-round pick, and... You don't want to, you know, if you don't include that, Ottawa's not making the trade. So if if you want to boil it down that way, I think it looks really well. And the Red Wings had such a stockpile of assets that I was, I was hoping this was going to be a volume trade because that was in the Red Wings' best interest because quality by value, by accumulation, not by giving up this premium piece and this premium piece. They gave up a premium piece and volume, yeah, which is the best case scenario for this trade to have actually happened. I don't think Ottawa got robbed blind here. I'll say it that way. Given the circumstance, especially. We kind of had an indication that this was going to be a lighter return for them for some time. They walk away with a first. They walk away with a really decent roster player who could play in their top six right now. So, you know, you have someone to fill that debrinket hole in your lineup. Sabrango is what it is. And and the fourth, I mean, the fourth round pick. That's really what sealed the whole deal here. They did what they could. The Red Wings won this trade. Steve Eisman won this trade. Plain and simple. It's not, it doesn't have to be that it came at the expense of, you know, oh, Ottawa are such idiots. It's just, I think, more the reality of the situation. You know how we love Pierre Dorian on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's not, uh, you know, who's the winner, who's the loser. It's not a black and white, uh, you know, conversation. I think Ottawa did pretty good considering the lack of leverage that they had. And I mean, they got a first round pick for essentially a guy who was going to walk in a year anyway. So honestly, I love it for Detroit, but, and I don't hate it for, for Ottawa. We talked about this a few weeks ago and it's not nothing. You, it's a little different in this circumstance because it's within division, but most trades you make, you hope are win-win. You hope the other team also comes away with a positive uh, vibe from the trade because then they are more likely to trade with you in the future. 
the rest of the league is more likely to trade with you. If you fleece every trade you ever make to the point where every other team feels like you're just selling, you know, snake oil by the It's the inverse of the Peter Shirelli. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to win your trades and you want to get what you need, but you don't want the other team to just be bitter and vengeful because of how poorly it went for them. And the nature of trades is that's going to happen no matter what. Some players pan out, some players don't. Some players fit a certain team, some players don't. But if Ottawa gets a decent player with that first-round pick and Sobrango turns into a depth defenseman for them and Kubelik scores 20 goals for them this year, they're happy. They got what they need. They're more likely to trade with Detroit in the future. You know, as much as it's fun to sit here and go, oh my God, they got eight goals out of this trade. We robbed them blind. In the long run, that's not always best. The in-division thing kind of maybe throws that on its head a little bit more than usual because you don't want to see Ottawa succeed. Uh, at the same time, you're trying to climb the same ladder they are. But yeah, because, and Kubelik's a good player specifically, but, you know, not to disparage the guy, he overachieved a little bit this year, especially really hot start and really cooled off towards the end. See, I think that's Kubelik as a player, though. That's fair. He's pretty inconsistent in terms of the goal scoring department, but it also underperformed. So even though they were probably only like five, six, seven goals apart this year, I'd be surprised if that gap was that small next year. I... I have more faith in Kubelik as a player. This is more about what the ultimate upside is. I, I We'll talk about what Dabrinkit may do on the Red Wings later on in the episode here. I think his overall upside, well, we've seen it, 40 goals. Let's talk about the contract signing now. We all thought, and Dabrinkit wanted, eight years. He wanted to be traded, and he wanted eight years at, you know, Timo Meyer money. Nearly $9 million or, you know, reports of $9 million plus. We've heard reports on and off about Steve Eiserman not being a fan of that term. A 25-year-old to brink it now, wanting more of a four or five-year term. And, you know, digging into it, you heard some things to to further that notion. You heard some things to say, no, Detroit's going to do what they need to do to get this done. For us, it was like, yeah, four or five-year term would be phenomenal for Detroit because you hold him through some of his best years. You have the option to keep him if he's really working out. The cap will be higher. You'll have the inside track, et cetera, et cetera. But why would Debrinket sign that? Lo and behold, four years, $7.875 million, under $8 million per season on the cap, four years, so you're not locked into him you know, past age 29. And if you want to keep him and he's still working out, then you can do so again. He'll, Debrinket will probably at that point really push for a long-term deal. The cap will be much higher, but that's four years down the road. The fact that Detroit bought four of Debrinket's best athletic years should be his best prime years at under 8 million. That to me, the contract is even better than the trade value in my mind. Yeah, it's phenomenal value. Um, they bought up most of the rest of his prime. Again, yeah, they'll have a full year to negotiate an extension with him if they decide to keep him around. But it's not entirely confusing from Debrinket's perspective. He goes, I want to be in Detroit. I want to be in Detroit for a while. You're not going to give me eight years, so you're going to give me half that, and I'm going to get paid again when I'm 29. He's he's doubling down on his contract, which is fine. It It's a gamble on himself, and Detroit's hoping it works out. Detroit's hoping they have to give him a whole bag of money at the end of this four years because it means the four years went really well. Yeah, it means he scored 160 goals in there. Exactly. So I completely understand it from the Red Wings side. I 
I understand it wasn't exactly what DeBrinket wanted, but if he wasn't getting eight years, I understand the appeal to four instead of going, you know, five, six, or seven. Yeah. Because, again, he'll get another big contract out of this if this goes even halfway decent for him. So, you know, it's it's a win all around. And uh, now it's on the Red Wings. They have a four-year window with a near 40-goal score, potential 40-goal goal score, under $8 million a year. I don't expect the Red Wings to be, you know, kicking down any doors this upcoming season, but the three seasons after that with some proper moves, you know, not just in whole, they could really make some noise because they've they've got a pretty favorable cap situation relative to the rest of the league. Yeah, I like it for Debrinket because he's kind of timing his next contract based on the cap increases, and I think you're going to see a lot more players do it. You know, if you can't get the eight years, you time the next cap, you, t- you time the cap increases. So uh, Detroit gets him for under eight million, which is obviously excellent, and you get pretty decent term. Yeah, and the, like you both said, there's nothing wrong with this for Debrinket. Like that, no. he's he's betting on himself in a way wherein he's still he's making a lot of money to play hockey. He's making nearly eight million dollars a year for the next four years. He gets to move home. That's important to him. That's important to his family. It's obviously something that he's wanted for a long time. You take a bit of a haircut on your salary for that. But you know what? The better of a player you are, the less of a haircut you're really meant to take. Or you, because you have all the leverage, right? He's he can score forty goals, and so he says, "I'll take a hundred thousand off a year. I won't take a million off a year." And some people might contend that that's what he took. The evolving hockey uh, contract projection, and they they run a great tool there, by the way. They run like uh, contract projections that are based on market projections. So it's less about the. It's integrating what the market values these types of players as in in addition to the objective value of the player. It was eight years at 9055000 per year. So if you're thinking over a long term, a $9 million AAV, that's what you would have to bring to bring it in for. But you get him in for four of the best years of that, if not, you know, athletically, looking at the age curve, the four best years of those eight years for less than that AAV. There's very few players in this league where you're on year six, seven, eight, and you're like, this was absolutely worth it. It's only the elite cream of the crop where you say that. What are we, a year into the Seth Jones contract? Oh, God. <laughs> and that's been bad since day one. So, yeah, I don't know. If anybody's upset right now, they need to uh, like reevaluate it a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about what the cons are to Debrinket as a player when we give it an objective view here in a minute. But genuinely, with that that AAV, that is Eisenman having his cake. That's him eating it too. That's him freezing the cake for later. That's ordering a second cake. We have gone how long in Hockey Town without seeing a player want to come, like a top player, I mean a high-end player, want to come here. Debrinket was at the top of anybody's uh, trade boards this year. Want to come to Detroit. Willing to do so for less than ideal term and willing to do so with a discounted hometown discount price. Decade plus. Plus. Like you have to go even back to the successful Babcock years because by the end of Babcock's tenure, he had a reputation for being, uh, you know, a shitty coach to play under and, and players didn't really want to play with him. This is the biggest news for Detroit since Steve Eisenman came back home. You're right, Brad. 100%. This fits into Detroit's cap structure, setting I, or Dylan Larkin as you know the top end of what the cap hit can be. Dylan Larkin and his eight point seven million per year. Debrinket didn't even come close to that. 
all of the projections were, yeah, you're going to have to pay this guy north of $8 million. He might not necessarily be worth that. His actual value is probably in the high sevens. If you look at comparables to other 40 goal scorers, you get into nine. I don't see You're right, Evan. I don't see how this is a loss at all. You cannot misconstrue this as a loss for the Red Wings. Period. Look at me, LA. <laughs> I am the LA now. An amazing haul for Detroit. A very, very reasonable, to say the least. I think that's even selling it short of a trade return and a fantastic contract. The- Team, teams trade way more than that to get cost-controlled players all the time. Yeah. So I don't know how to keep saying it's a, it's a great deal for Detroit. And as Brad said earlier, what's the risk here? That in four years he does so well that he ha- you have to pay him more? Great. Then you have proof that he can score like that. And you got, you know, 140 plus goals out of him over four seasons. He's established roots uh, in his home state and probably doesn't want to move. And the team's on the up. Sounds like you'll be able to lock him in. The actual structure of the contract is uh, is worth noting here, too. It is $8.25 million, $8.25 million, $8.25 million, and in the last year, $6.75 million. All salary, no signing bonus. So if you're thinking, is this uh, buyout proof? No. Uh it is, as of July 21st, 2024, a 16-team no-trade list. So as of July 1st of next season, so just under a year from now, he's allowed to say no to half the league to be traded to. So there is a lot of trade f- flexibility in here as well. And then for the first year, Eisenman can do whatever, but obviously it, that's not really in the plans for to move that deal. So not that you know buyout or trade is really part of this conversation, but it's all salary. There's no signing bonus in there. It makes the deal a lot more flexible if you want to do anything with it in those four years. So how important was it for you to see the Red Wings do this without losing you know, one of their top prospects? I know there were a lot of ridiculous trade proposals going around. Obviously, this was never going to include... Raymond Sider, none of those guys. But, you know, this doesn't even touch the Casper tier, the Danielson, Sandine Pelica, obviously. This doesn't even come close to the Mazer tier or anything like that. This is guaranteeing that they keep the better of their two first-round picks next year, and the other pick is the premium asset that they give up. How much does that change the calculus of this for you based on what we were anticipating? In terms of the calculus, not a ton because I don't think the Casper Mazer tier was ever really in consideration. I think as high as anybody got up realistically, like anybody who is actually in tune with this sort of thing got up to is Wallinder. And the Red Wings have such depth from that pool and downwards that it's it wouldn't have been the end of the world if it happened. But it's it's incredible that it didn't because what this does allow more than anything else is the flexibility to make more trades like this in the future. Because the Red Wings have so much depth in their prospect pool right now, there's just not going to be enough roster spots for all of them. Plain and simple. There's just There just isn't. So, you know, if in a year another player of DeBrinckit's caliber comes uh, available in trade, the Red Wings can still be very aggressive in pursuing it because they still have the world of assets to make it happen. You know, we already examined the value of the trade, so I'm not going to keep beating that one to death. But yeah, the, the organization's ability to make more deals like this is critical because the one thing we haven't mentioned yet, as big of a get as Alex Dabrinkit is, 
this isn't enough. He doesn't completely solve the problem. He's going to come in and score more goals for Detroit, and Detroit's going to move up the goal-scoring charts in the NHL. They're probably still a bottom-10 team. I think they were like a bottom three or four team this year, and Debrinket alone could probably move them up a few spots. But this team still needs to find more goals. This team still needs a, at, at least at a bare-ass minimum one more top-six caliber forward. You know, they might get lucky. Danielson, Casper, who knows how quickly or how long it'll take some of these guys to pan out. But even if Danielson and Casper are your two and three C for a while, they probably, they still need one more top six winger. Unless you are super mega confident Lucas Raymond can be a number one right wing on a cup contender and Carter Mazur can be a number two right wing on a cup contender. I think it's in the realm of possibility, but I'm not hanging my hat on it. So I, I think Steve still needs to be very aggressive in terms of trying to acquire another player of at least this caliber. And if he wants to, he still has the ammo to be able to do it. That's the key to it. We're going to talk about where Dabrinka fits into the lineup and how he changes things for Detroit in a second here, but that last line is the key to it for me. The options are still available to be aggressive in the future. You didn't mortgage off an unreasonable amount of futures to do this. It all just, it makes sense in terms of wanting to get better now and allowing yourself to make similarly big moves, even if they're not all, you know, you bring in Alex to bring it. And for those wondering like, oh, well then what else do you want him to do? This isn't saying Eisenman should have done more than to bring it right now. Eisenman did the most with what he could have with this offseason, plain and simple. Like there's not much else you could have done here in future is when you have to keep moving this forward. So trade do you guys even want to do grades? How do you grade this? It feels like this is half of this is just excitement, but even looking at this objectively, like trade A, contract A plus, like what do you want? How do you even qualify it? It's an A plus across the board because it's that perfect marriage of got at phenomenal trade value, got at phenomenal contract value, got at their biggest need. Yeah. Like where's the downside here? This is a team that had a surplus of prospects and they were able to make more of a volume trade. This is a team that had tons of cap space and they still got him in very cheap relative to what he probably should have got. And this is a team that can't score a goal to save their damn life and they got a potential 40 goal scorer. Where is the downside here? Let's talk about where Alex Dabrinkit fits into these Red Wings. And one thing I want to address first is something you mentioned earlier, Brad. Players like Lucas Raymond players like Dylan Larkin, this helps them. How does it help them? Well, let's talk about the first obvious way. If Dylan Larkin or if Alex DeBrinket is playing with Dylan Larkin or Lucas Raymond or any of the Red Wings players, it helps to have a guy who can put the puck in the net playing on your line, plain and simple. Like that is just not rocket science. You need a, you need a shooter. It solves a, a direct area of need for the Red Wings, but just for those top six players or those that top six setup for Detroit, you add a guy who's not even just true top six caliber, true top line caliber. That's hard to come by. Secondly, I think part of Alex DeBrinkett's game is it, he's actually pretty underrated as a guy who can pass the puck and set up plays. Like his vision that way is uh, not talked about enough because he is known for scoring 40 goals, but he's not a one-dimensional player offensively. There's some to be desired defensively and those who are critics of the DeBrinkett whole, you know, push for the last few months they've been saying this is not a guy who plays a 200 foot game 
To which my response is, sure, the Red Wings do need to score eventually, though, to win games. But Debrinket helps in the obvious ways. How else does he help, though? He takes the pressure off. He pulls coverage to him. He takes the pressure off Lucas Raymond, who can no longer be game-planned against so easily just by trying to shut him down. He takes the pressure off Dylan Larkin having to do every damn thing by himself and just put the team on his shoulders. He opens the ice up. He's another. He's a threat from the other wing. Not that the Red Wings lacked wingers who could score, but those who could be a scoring threat like Debrinket for as long as Debrinket can be for the Red Wings, that is going to elevate all the players around him. Rising tides, ra- ra- rising tides lift all ships, however that goes, and that is especially true for the, the Red Wings' top six here. Well, they're not paying him to be a middle six winger. So no, no. I would imagine he slots on the top line, and you got a lot of different dynamics to that line now. You got the the speedy center in Dylan Larkin. You got a trigger man in, in Debrinket, and you've got an excellent playmaker who has a quite a good shot in, in Lucas Raymond. So, yeah, I would imagine he gets prime time minutes and plays PP1 no problem. Yeah, the Red Wings are still a team. I don't know if we were joking about this last week on air or off air. Either way, the Red Wings are a team with a first line and three third lines. Yeah, legitimately. And Alex Debrinkit makes the Detroit Red Wings a team with a first line and three third lines still. But now their first line is a legit first line. They're not putting who the hell ever is available at left wing. They're not putting an injured Tyler Bertuzzi. They're not putting a streaky Dominic Kubelik in there. They're getting a pure goal scorer. Dylan Larkin can facilitate the puck uh, just about as well as any 200-foot center can, who's not like, you know, a Nicholas Backstrom-level playmaker. Lucas Raymond is a right shot, so if he has Debrinket playing on his left wing, that's a natural funnel for him to get to the puck to that side of the ice, which creates options. So Larkin funneling it to Raymond, Raymond can funnel it to Debrinket. It's going to keep the defense on their toes. So that is a legit, absolute threat of a first line. You know, you can break down the rest of the lineup however you want. You're still going to end up with three third lines. And, you know, we talked about Detroit's recipe being they have to out-depth teams. Well, when your first line is keeping up with the other team's first lines, that keeps it within the realm of possibility. Because if the second line is something along the lines of Perron, Comfer, Rasmussen, not a good second line by NHL standards, but good enough to tread water. You know, if your third line is Berggren, Cop, Fabry, that's an above-average NHL third line. If your fourth line is Costin Valeno Sprong, that's a significantly above average NHL fourth line. Yeah. So all the Red Wings need is to bring it Larkin Raymond to keep up with the opponent's fourth uh other first line and then just out depth, out depth, out depth, out depth as much as they can because the Red Wings should be able to attack in waves. And if someone doesn't perform to the level you would hope they perform in that lineup, we got Soderblom, Fisher, Casper. All ready to go. Yeah. So the team has a million options. They have an actual, an actual shooter, pure sniper available in this team whose playmaking is probably underrated, which is going to also play well for Larkin and Raymond. So yeah, this was, again, a team that couldn't score addressing their biggest need at the biggest hole in their lineup. And if uh, Deprinkett struggles off the hop, they can move him down to the second line where he can be reunited with Patrick Kane. <laughs> You're big on that, eh? No, but... I like the I like it for the meme. The the whole narrative around Debrinket was is this guy the real deal away from Patrick Kane? And yeah, the scoring went I mean, down, but Patrick Kane is one of the most gifted playmakers we've ever seen. So 
very obviously that would elevate him. And Patrick if only Kane, there was a Patrick Kane on the free agent market. And he's notably going to recover from surgery before picking a team, I think is his plan, which is becoming more common with, uh, with you know, guys who are getting there over the hill in their career but still can contribute. Don't play all 82 games, just come back to a winning situation. I don't know if Detroit would qualify as much, but maybe you could lure Patrick Kane with, hey, come play with uh, Debrinkit. Hey, it's not nothing. In Chicago, those two were like best friends. Yeah. So I don't think Detroit would be a favorite to land Patrick Kane. I don't even know if Detroit would be interested in Patrick Kane. But this does put it within the realm of possibility. If you told 2009 Evan, let's say they got Patrick Kane, and you told 2009 Evan that that happened, I would have thrown up in your face. (laughs) In excitement and in disgust. A little bit of Red Wings disgust. It would be all the same. Yeah. Maybe maybe Franzen will give him his mouth guard back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I want to talk expectations for Debrinket. This has been a very excited episode so far for good reason, I think. But what can we realistically expect from Debrinket? Now, he came from a down year in Ottawa. There were some injuries there which changed, you know, the kind of uh, line mates that he was maybe hoping to have for the entire year. But he played a full 82 games. The previous year in Chicago, he put up 41 goals, 37 assists for 78 points. This past year, he had 27 goals, 39 assists for 66 points. So very obvious 14-goal decrease year over year there. His entire career, you know, first 82-game season actually scored 28 goals, then 40. And then in a 70-game season, he scored 18. And then in a 52-game season, he scored 32, which was an unreal pace. So, you know, a lot of 40-plus goal or 40-plus goal pace seasons. But last year was a down year. And all I can think of is, yeah, Ottawa had some injuries and and maybe he, his goal scoring was a little bit because of that, but it was a down year overall, plain and simple. So he's coming into a Red Wings team, which is a lot better on offense than we've seen in, you know, five years ago, six years ago, but they're still not an entirely gifted offensive team. He obviously changes that, but this isn't exactly a situation for him to come in and say, yeah, this guy's going to be challenging for 50 goals. I would say... Temper expectations. Just give the people a number, Ryan. I think 30 goals would be a a fantastic outcome for his first season in Detroit. Okay. That's reasonable. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say fantastic. I'd say great. I don't understand the difference. My teacher always gave me both those stickers, and it was always the same mark. Oh, that's nice, buddy. They're all gold, too, I bet. Yeah. yeah. Gold stickers just for showing up. That's right. I'm going to say 35 Holy. I'm going to say 35. Is that great or fantastic? (laughs) Uh, Yes. But um, I'm going to, I'm not going to say that's the, anything below that is a failure, but I think 35 is a reasonable expectation. A, because he scored 40 multiple times before. B, most analytics show last year, he had a lot of bad luck in terms of finishing, which is uncharacteristic for him. C, he was not playing on the Senators' top line last last year. He was not getting the premium looks. Um, the, Red, uh, the Red Wings, the Senators' top six last year was very, very good. He wasn't playing with Tim Stutzla for the whole year. So, obviously, the Red Wings don't have a Patrick Kane that's just going to, you know, feed him backdoor empty nets all season. But what the Red Wings are likely to do with him is give him an ass-ton of first-line minutes and an ass-ton of power play minutes. And when you are the lone sniper on a team, you're going to get a lot of looks. The team is going to force feed you a lot of looks. So if his finishing even regresses to the mean a little bit, I think uh, 
five to 10 goal improvement over last year is very reasonable. If he has a 27 goal season again, that's not going to be something to celebrate. Of course, you, you brought in this guy to be a goal scorer. It's still among the, one of the Red Wings top scorers, but like, like we said earlier, that wouldn't be a massive improvement over Dominic Kubelik. I think what you said is perfectly attainable, Brad. I think it is. It's all just going to depend on how he settles, how the Red Wings, they are going to throw those first line minutes at him. You're right. He's going to be the the hallmark of everything Red Wings offensively, power play and at five on five uh, in terms of goal scoring. But I've, I'm wary of asking players to come into the Red Wings situation and immediately be successful. It's a very difficult thing to do. As the resident pessimist on this podcast. That's I was- you? What? Oh my God! We're Who screwed. said they finished seventh last year? Yeah, was that me? True. That was Lobster Dominic. Maybe You're that right. was. Maybe I just knew. That's just accuracy. Yeah, I was going to say twenty-five, but no minute, no less than twenty-five. Twenty-five got to be. Like and that. I agree with everything you guys say, but I also see it on the other side of the coin as well. You know, he's the the premier uh, goal scorer, the the trigger man. So all teams will 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 game plan against that. And am I all that confident in everyone else's goal scoring? Well, history would say no to me. And, you know, he's coming to a new team. But he did that. He's done that before very recently. Yeah. And he's coming home to a home state. So it's it's not as bad as some guys who go from the team that drafted them. They were born overseas. And now they're all, a lot of life's in, uh, been turned upside down again. Um, I feel like this is a much more natural fit for all the obvious reasons. I'll say no less than 25 would be a, it would be a a great season the the thing is with the brinket and to a point you made about when you are the lone trigger man teams are going to game plan for you we're we haven't talked about debrinket's playmaking which is a thing yeah, yeah. a very good thing and that's how you open up space to score goals because if they send extra coverage on him and leave larkin or raymond over open debrinket will find them he he's not a a one dimensional player he can make those you know deft one touch passes through seams he can hold the puck until something opens up and the teams have to respect that otherwise you know if he's playing with JT Comfer and Michael Rasmussen yeah they could probably cheat on him a little bit but if he's playing with Larkin and Raymond or two players of that caliber yeah they they are not going to be able to send extra coverage his way because he will burn teams on that which is you know, ha- that is ha- one of the main reasons players can get to 30, 40 goals is because I, you have to leave me some space. You have to, or I'm going to torch you in other ways. So I, I think even though he's going to be very heavily defended for obvious reasons that he'll still be able to make it work. Let's talk about, you know, players who find that space that you talked about, Brad. Dylan Larkin put up 30 goals last year doing just that. He took a big step in terms of, you know, very quietly finding his space and sneaking away from coverage. But a lot of the time was knowing where to be in the slot and burying those opportunities in those high danger areas where they all highlight real goals like sexy dangles and and burning around guys. No, that's actually a lot less of it from his career, but that's a part of why he had nearly a point per game output with 32 goals is he put himself in the slot on the power play uh, at five on five. He was able to finish those opportunities from the high danger areas. So yeah, it's not just all feed to brink it and he's going to score hundreds of goals for the Red Wings. No, it's it's the other way around too. And Lucas Raymond put up 17 goals last year. You you have to hope and expect for more next season. And part of that can also come from Dabrinkit. Now, this is assuming they're going to be on a line together. We don't know how the lines are going to shake out this year. You know, year one was Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond. 
Bertuzzi got hurt last year for infinity games, and so that got jumbled up. Lucas Raymond struggled. Did you see like a Perron moving up from time to time to kind of round out that line a little bit? Totally. You could, yeah, like thinking of the depth chart, I know Brad already went over it, but Larkin's going to be your first line center. Raymond's going to get your first line minutes too for the most part, unless he, you know, they they have uh, two interchangeable first lines. But the the dream line here is going to be some version of Dabrinkit, Larkin, Raymond. Maybe you flip the wings. Doesn't matter. Rasmussen or, or Perron, Cop, Rasmussen or Perron, Cop, Fabry. Rasmussen, Comfer, Sprong. Uh, Bergren, you know, Vleno, assuming that contract comes through, Costin or, or Christian Fisher. And like Brad mentioned, you have Carter Mazur waiting there. You have Elmer Soderblom who has played NHL games waiting there. Marco Casper who has played one NHL game waiting there. The Red Wings have options in that top six. You can find some configurations that work here, but I'm, I'm curious to see if it does end up being that Dabrinkit, Larkin, Raymond combination. You don't bring in Alex Dabrinkit to play him with Andrew Kopp or JT Comfer. I'll leave it at that. Don't don't tempt fate, Brad. Oh, I, I know it's going to happen at points in the season because, you know, things get stale, lines get cold, and that's okay. It just better not start that way. <laughs> Let's, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they start that way and eventually ease him in, but we'll see how it goes. Let's actually, let me ask you the question that you're going to hate, but it's worth asking. With the Red Wings as they are now, does Alex, does adding Alex to Brinkett make them a serious contender for a playoff wildcard spot? Yes, but probably not actually getting in. I'll say my projection at this point would be best summarized as saying playing meaningful games in late March. Okay. I'm going to say yes if everyone stays healthy. Which that is, is a, a monstrous if. So I'm gonna, I'll branch off your statement because I get what you're getting at. That top line. That's what I mean. Has to stay healthy. They have so much depth. I think anybody below that could kind of go in and out of the lineup. It, like one to two players at a time and they'd be fine. Maybe even three or four, honestly, depending on some of the prospects development. But yeah, that they... Debrinkit, Larkin, Raymond, if any of them got hurt, that would leave a giant hole in the lineup still. Hence why I said Eisenman over the next few years can't be done with just this. But if the top line stays healthy, yes, I think this team could make some noise in the wild card race. I, I ultimately don't think they'd get in. I just, there's so many good teams in the East right now because. Even if you look at the teams that are outside of a playoff spot, I don't know if I love them more than Buffalo or Pittsburgh yet, but they're in that tier. They're probably in the lower part of that tier, but they're there. I could see the Islanders falling out of a playoff spot. I could see maybe, you know, one of the Atlantic teams finally regressing. I don't know. Stranger things have happened. For me, it's Eisman kept talking about improving from within. And that's where the goals would come from as of right now. Obviously, they had to make more moves. This was pre it. And looking at this, looking at a, a potential depth chart, Debrinkit comes in, does reasonably well. Call it 30-plus goals. And that allows Lucas Raymond to blossom a little bit more and rebound from what was largely a down year. And he improves from 17 goals. Daniel Sprong comes in and is at least three quarters as productive or efficient as he was in Seattle, just to, to 
taper off a little bit. That adds some goals. A healthy Andrew Kopp and a JT Confer who comes in, and you know neither of those guys are, are going to put the puck in the net at unreal rates or produce a ton, but an okay amount for guys who are supposed to be your middle six centers. Robbie Fabry, Michael Rasmussen, I don't want to add too much expectation to them. I think anything from either of them. for Fabry for health and Rasmussen because he brings a different element to the game. And if Jontin Berggren, you know, is able to withstand the grind of an NHL season and produce at rates that we saw him last year, I can see the amount of goals being added to this Red Wings team to make them, like you said, Brad, a more serious name come March and April. Do I guarantee them a playoff spot? No. But I am way more optimistic about that now than I was, you know, nine hours ago. Yeah, about nine hours ago. Yeah. yeah. Not to be the grumpy guy on the podcast all the time, but I think this division is still extremely difficult. And a lot of this is going to rely on the health of the top line. I still don't see the Red Wings as a playoff team. We'll have to see how the rest of this offseason sort of shakes out with the teams in their... I'll say tier, but it, it'll be difficult. But I think we'll see a very similar competitive level team uh, we did this year into the into the new year of this season. And it's not, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. I think objectively that's where the Red Wings are at. They're going to have an uphill battle. Like, and I hate to say it on the episode where everyone's all hyped. No, no, that's, but it's an objective analysis of the situation. Well, I don't want to, you know, make any, don't want to rain on anybody's parade. Uh, I, Years two, three, and four of DeBrinket's contract are what matter here. And the bigger the number, the more that year matters. That's That was the purpose of this trade. Like, I think with, with the health that they need and a better than expected onboarding for Sprong and DeBrinket and goaltending like what they got last year, this could fall into their favor. You know, you put a gun to my head and you say, are they going to be a playoff team next year? You have to pick right now. I'm probably still saying no, but the conversation is way more real now than it was before. You couldn't see a path to this team. Like, we, what, what did we say the other day, Brad? Like, this team is better now, before Dabrinka, is better now than what they finished the season with, but not better than what we uh, thought they were going to be going into next season before we knew Veron and Bertuzzi would be gone. The Dabrinka changes that information now. That's Alex Dabrinkit, traded to the Red Wings, extended four years. This is a, a nice cap off to an Iser plan month wherein everything has been addressing the smaller holes, the bigger leaks, or sorry, the smaller leaks, things that needed to be done but weren't, weren't addressing the elephant in the room and, and kind of caused some, hey, what is the plan to add scoring? What is the Iser plan? When is this going to move along? When's that big move going to come? We've been talking for months, if not like years, about there needs to be a big move that's manufactured because there's no draft lottery luck. This is it. So is there a breath, a sigh of relief for you now that, you know, this thing is still on track? No. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) No, we just start the Patrick Kane watch now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, please. (laughs) You're going to have a lot of fans about that. Yeah, no, um, it, it is. Again, it's not done. But like you said, we have been smashing this table for the last month going goals. Where are the goals? Goals. Goals. Anybody got any goals? And it didn't really come through the draft other than Sprong, who's a, albeit good, but a depth player. Didn't really come via free agency. So once we went through free agency and the draft and went, where the hell are the goals coming from? 
all eyes immediately locked in on Debrinket because it was the last option. And now that that's actually went through and it's come to fruition and, you know, there's no risk of Uncle Lou coming in and spoiling our party. Yeah, we can definitely breathe a huge sigh of relief now. Yeah, for me, it's a piece of the puzzle. It doesn't uh, finish it by any means. Certainly significant work if that didn't already appear obvious in my pessimism. But, you know, you got you to gotta get these guys when you can. 30, 40 goal scores do not just come out of nowhere and say they want to play in Detroit and live in Michigan. So when these guys come up, you got to get them. So hats off to Steve Eisenman and the management team for getting this done. Yeah, it's looking at this with a very realistic objective view. These both Brad and Evan have put it very well. There's still work to be done. This doesn't solve everything. It's not a silver bullet. You know, don't plan a parade route. Woodward isn't going to have, you know, millions of people pouring out to celebrate a cup anytime soon. There's still a lot of work to be done, but this is a big step that's hard to make. Part of this is luck. A lot of this is manufacturing your own luck via, you know, having a talented GM in both trade and contract negotiations. It's been a grind, but this move had to happen and it did happen and it wasn't easy. So hats off to Eisenman. As you know, not that we're, some people say, oh, you just praise anything Eisenman does. You only have to listen to the draft recap and the free agency recap to know that it's not definitely not universal praise. And there were questions about when this move would come. So it, it I, I'm trying to say like, it's not a light phrase to say Eisenman nailed this. It wasn't easy to nail this. This is the big step that we've been waiting for, for literal years. Hockey Town's fan base has every reason to be happy about this. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Alex Dabrinkit quite a bit over the coming weeks. So why don't we take this opportunity to jump into overtime and take some questions and comments from our Patreon supporters. Again, overtime is brought to you by our so-called dub dub club, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join, you get access to our bonus episodes. You get access to our Patreon exclusive discord and you're automatically entered into all of our giveaways. Uh, those two tickets to every Red Wings home game that we mentioned, that's going to the vast majority of those going to patrons, but also things like uh, this co-branded Detroit Red Wings and winged wheel podcast officially licensed hat. That's part of our event that we uh, we ran with the Detroit Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast and at the LCA. That hat was part of it, so you can win some of those. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to support the Dub Dub Club. Okay, this uh, the questions here are the majority of them came in before <laughs> the Debrinket trade happened. So this is going to be a little bit of a weird one. So forgive us if there aren't a ton of questions in here that are relevant. But uh, this one from Apple Cider says, what are the odds the Red Wings make the playoffs this year? So give it a percentage odds. 40. Oh my God. As in that's how many goals to bring it. Will score. <laughs> <laughs> I almost had the exact no, same reaction. <laughs> no, my, my answer actually should have been 35 because I'm going to coincide my two predictions. I was actually going to say 35. It might, that even might be optimistic. I want to call that out. It no, might it's be. very optimistic, but I'm being optimistic today, Ryan. Do you know how much people have yelled at me the last three weeks for how pessimistic I've been? I got to oh, say. Oh, shit. They're all going to come after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. They're, not all, they're not happy with what I'm about to say. If you're, if you're going to uh, send Evan any mean tweets or anything, make sure they're voice notes he can't read. That's right. That's right. Boy. Wow. This is really putting me on the spot and really ruining my preseason per- team prediction yeah, that'll right. come uh, later this year um, they'll have them six leapfrogging ottawa would you like me to be pessimistic or optimistic no, right now be real 
Be real. I'm always real, man. I always keep it real. I, I imagine I'm try, I'm asking you for advice on what club to hit, and you're tired of me. It's hole 17, and I've been taking a long time off. So miserable. Miserable yeah. is what you're asking <laughs> me to be. Realistic. Uh, at this exact moment in time, gun to the earth, Evan Lobsinger, I'm gonna say 15%. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think you're I don't think you're being unfair. The number of goals Philip Sedina scored while he was a Detroit Red Wing, 15 <laughs> is the number <laughs> I'm going with. The fact that I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. <laughs> I know. Uh comment here from Dr. Ryavin Rad Hanlobrisco Gazintite the third. Hell of a name. He says, we can finally move on from the speculation and welcome Alex back to Michigan. Wish we could have kept and signed Kubelik and given up a highest ceiling prospect or two instead, but such is the biz. Do you think we are done adding? If not, is Tarasenko, Nylander, or Konechny anywhere in the realm of possibilities? What about bringing Kane in for a little reunion with Kat? I will say, I, I'm not going to say Stevie's done, but... For this particular offseason, I feel like the big game hunting is probably done. And to be fair, I don't consider Patrick Kane big game hunting at this point because of the injury history, the regression, yada, yada, yada. I don't think Tarasenko is an option. So I, I, I could see another piece or two, but I don't think it'll be anything super significant. It's possible. For, think back to what Brad said earlier in the episode. This allows you the flexibility. If you made me guess, I would say bigger moves would come in later years, partially just because multiple big moves don't really come in the NHL period in one offseason, let alone with one team. But, hey, we talked about Eisman needing to do a lot of work. So if he has an opportunity to bring in, you know, Konechny or Tarasenko or Nylander, uh, something reasonable, that's going to be the big caveat. If it's reasonable in terms of trade and or contract, then yeah, it's perfectly within the realm of possibility. I just wouldn't call it likely off the hop even before the Debrinket news. The Kane thing is the it, yeah to me that's the most like all eyes on that. It really depends on what Kane wants. Will he make a career decision based on wanting to play with one guy? My gut says no, but hey, you never it strikes know. Strikes me as a city guy now, like he wants to go live in those markets. Cup guy, too. Which is weird, because the team I keep seeing at the top of the list for potential landing spots for Patrick Kane is Buffalo, but... Oh, yeah. Well, it's his hometown. Yeah, it's hometown, yeah. That would be one. I I always think L.A., too. Yeah. He's that kind of guy who likes those... no way L.A. has any cap space at this point. Have you met the Vegas Golden Knights? (laughs) Terrific point. (laughs) Yeah, they actually just use an NFL salary cap. Nobody's caught on yet. No, yeah. They just keep restructuring conta- uh, contracts, and the NHL's like, we didn't have a button for this, so what do you we can't mean? say no. What do you mean I'm out of space? I have $130 million still. <laughs> uh, okay, this question from Lars Thorzell says, Hey, boys, with what we have now, how would you form the lines and defensive pairings? So I think it's, I, I, to me, it's the Debrinket, Larkin, Raymond is like, that's all the obvious title card there. Perron, Comfer, Fabry, maybe. Rasmussen, Cop, Sprong. I th- could see Sprong moving up to the, the Red Wings second line, especially if he comes out hot. It's hard to say that Sprong is going to go from playing, you know, 11.30 a night to 17 a night, but you never know. And then Berggren, Valeno, Fisher, or Costin. Or maybe Berggren's out and, and Fisher's in in his place. He better not be. Wallman, Sider. I would love to see Goss Despair on the second pair on the Goss right side. Goss Motto would actually make sense. I would guess it's going to be Hall. Yeah, that's the likely scenario because also if you put Goss's pair on the second pairing, that makes the third pair Ben Sherratt, Justin Hull, and 
The hockey world's not ready for that. We're not ready for that. I'd rather Mata with one of Sherrod or Hall. No, I agree. Yeah. I I would let prefer Goss to spare with Mata, but not at the expense of having to have Sherrod and Hall on the ice at the same time. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. This one from Miss Days says, uh, of the players whose contracts you did not like, you did like or did not like, who do you think has the most potential to surprise you this upcoming season and why? So if I did like the contract, most likely to disappoint or the contract I didn't like, most likely to surprise in a good way. Okay. Well, I'm going to be optimistic here and I did not like two of the contracts. So based on my own personal expectations, which I know I'm in the minority on, I'm going to say JT Comfer. Okay. I I expect, not significant, but I expect, you know, noticeable regression in his offense coming from Colorado's second line to Detroit's. So if he does once again put up over 50 points, I will be very pleasantly surprised. And I think that is in the realm of possibility. I, I wouldn't call it likely. But it's possible. I'd really, be surprised. I like the Goss Despair deal, and I'm I'm wondering if it's going to be even better than I anticipated for him and what he can add to the Red Wings. Not just a power play quarterback, but maybe he can add even more to that blue line, you know, across the board. And in terms of contracts, I didn't like necessarily. I would say I could see a lot of headroom for Hall coming in as a guy who's a little bit more steady. They deploy him in a way that's not, you know, eating him alive like they did in Toronto. He's not in that pressure cooker that's Toronto and there's some support around him. You know, maybe they pair him with a Mata type. That one I could definitely see going reasonably well, wherein you're not concerned about the term or dollar value because he's just a steady Eddie on the back end. I think the Justin Hall one will be very interesting to watch unfold because at least when you play in Toronto, you have insanely high cheer talent playing in front of you so if you need justin hall to defend he's gonna be doing a lot of that in detroit so time will tell if that contract is uh worth its uh worth its dollar amount we will find out okay uh this has been a weird episode wherein the overtime we've done two episodes everyone we've yeah we've done many hours of recording today we're in the overtime questions were mostly for a non-debrinket news day. So we're going to cut the questions off there. We're going to have plenty more coming for you. Our midweek episode is going to have even more analysis, uh, voices from uh, other prominent uh, Red Wings and hockey folks. And we are also going to take more of your questions there. But for now, uh, we are going to wrap this up. Folks, thank you all so much for tuning in with us. We, If you're a new listener who's coming in because of the DeBrinket excitement, uh, we really appreciate you finding the show and, and giving it a listen. If you're a listener of old, it's really cool to go through these exciting days together with the fan base. This is like one of our favorite things on the podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank all of our patrons. Uh, you're the heart and soul of the show. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. And uh, to all of our name level supporters on Patreon, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Barnsey, Sea Lion 22, Keenan O'Donohue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Actual Garbage, Brad's Version, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Babe Landiscog, Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Carzone 13, Sizen High 5, Clip Clop Nene, Great name. Thanks for being a name level sponsor. 
Connor Scovey, Cooking with Kosa, Coyote Season Tickets in Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam al Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Caitlin Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Prashanth, The Goalie Truther, Ayerserman, R.A., Red 3, Ryan, Big Brass Ones, Hannah, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, That's What I Appreciates About You, The Mexanadian, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Number One Red Guys Fan, A.A. Ron, Adam Rose, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Captain Antonio Gracias of the United Federation of Cheesebags, Chuck Buff Chest the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, Frank Stanley, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Instructions Unclear, Cheesebag No Longer Fresh, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Oophelia, Pavel Duck Soup, Ryan Hanna's Big Brass Ones, Shahid Syed, Speed Dialing My Doctor because I got a solid 7.875 lasting longer than four, Steven Tatarsos, The Hodag, The Hat123, and your second favorite patron. Folks, thank you all so very much. Alex Dabrinkin is a Detroit Red Wing. We'll talk to you midweek. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.